It's good to be with you tonight, and to, we're going to go back, as we were saying, into the Psalms. Uh, we're going to start tonight in the 21st Psalm, hopefully go into the 22nd, and let God speak to us. On, and one of the things that's so blessed about the Psalms is that the Psalms will follow a pattern of our emotional and even spiritual lives. When we're dealing with an up of our life, we will find the up in the Psalms. And David was an emotional being, just like we are. He had his good days, he had his bad days. There were days that David did not want to get out of his bed. There's other days that David was just running ahead of God even, shouting to the housetops, praising the name of the Lord. And as we look into the Psalms tonight, we're going to see all of that in just two psalms. We're going to see the high. We're going to see the low. There's the dips. There's those plateaus that are just flat. And we've all probably been there in our Christian life for a little bit. We wonder, well, it just seems like nothing really is exciting. I get up. I read the Bible. I go to work. I go home. And David was there also. But as we start in the 21st psalm, we're going to see David up here at one of the higher points. It's a place that this God was nourishing him. It, he was strengthening him. And as we follow through this 21st Psalm, we'll see David just really running, running with God, running uh, in, in God's work. And I love this of the Bible because really one of the parts of uh, the word and exhortation that all of us need is to remember to rejoice in the Lord, uh, to lift up our hearts to the heavens. And this is what David begins tonight. And we'll see this as we look in this, this 21st chapter. Now, I'm using the New King James Version tonight, a couple reasons. Really, I just love this Bible. I love it. But also, it do, does seem to... Uh, portray this in a certain way, and then I've got this old default, to be frank. I was raised uh, memorizing the King James at my mother's knee, and so I can take the new King James sometimes and, and pop over there, but for those that, you know, often we teach, and I teach out of the new NASB, here's a great thing in discipline as you're following me through, because tonight we're going to do a little running together through the Bible. I didn't give the media all these verses. We're going to go here we go. We're over here. We're going to go over to John. We're going to go over to Matthew. We're going to go back. We're going to see how the word jumps across the pages of the Bible. And what we're going to be looking at is prophecies that were fulfilled as we get into this 22nd chapter in this amazing way. But if you've got the NASB or say you've got ESV or if you've got King, regular King James, one of the great disciplines in that is in teaching, if you're following, is it gives you the ability to kind of get a little broader comparison as the verses presented to you. And I believe you're here tonight because you're Bible readers and enjoy studying the Word on a, a level like this. And so we can look at this together. But in, in Psalm 21, this is a Psalm of David. And again, oftentimes when David is doing this, he doesn't even realize what all he's saying. He's just shouting, just like we do sometimes. Pray, just like tonight, as I listen to you right here in singing. And he begins 
the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord. Now this is David, I'm the king, O God, I feel your strength. And in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. And David is here going, Lord, you have answered my prayers. You have been there in difficult times. You've delivered me from the mouth of the lion. You're the deliverer. You're the conqueror. You've done it, God. And this is how God is. God is an amazing God. And it's good to all of a sudden step back. A few days ago, we were just praying as a group of men. And all of a sudden, God just like spoke to me and goes, just praise God in this prayer. Praise God for what we know he is doing, has done, and will doing, do today. Because this is what David is doing here. He's just, he is just acknowledging the greatness, the power, the majesty of God, praising him. And really, in a spiritual sense, he's running. And I think there's a real place in the Christian's life to run. There's other times God says, wait. Other times he says, stop. Other times he says, walk. But here for a moment, as we look in this psalm, most of this psalm, we're going to move kind of fast through it. Actually, Pastor Brad and I was talking right before I came over. He said, I really wanted to get through the 21st psalm, but I got stuck in Psalm 20. I said, okay, I'm going to be here two weeks. God, Terry, I'm going to try to hand off 25 to you. So we'll try to move through 23 and 24. But So we'll move through this a little quicker because there are some parallels to what Pastor Brad was teaching last week in the 21st Psalm. David in the third verse said, you, this is the Lord, you, for you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You meet the king, he's saying. You meet me at these amazing places. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. And I wonder sometimes what David is thinking there. It's far beyond a natural crown on his head. He has seen the blessing of God as he is portraying this. He, he, I, David, asked life from you and you gave it to him. You gave him life, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you've placed upon him. And I, I just sense that David is it's just like we'll see later in the 23rd Psalm. It's like, my cup's running over. God, you are just overflowing my cup. And oftentimes we need to stop and praise to see how much God is just overflowing our cup. You know, sometimes we'll say, well, here, well look at this. But God, when, when you turn it to the spiritual side, we turn it into the spirit. We might have a struggle in our body tonight. We'll never outgive God, and his blessings are so tremendous that they overflow. Because the beauty of, of David here, he's, he's writing this and speaking this, I'm sure, but what is happening with David is it's going all the way down to us today through the word of God. The joy of the Lord overflows and blesses others. It doesn't stop with us. And David goes on in verse five, his glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you, this is the Lord, he is referring, notice how many times he's pointing to you. You, God, did it. You did it. You're the one who did it. You're the one who blessed me. For you have made him most blessed forevermore. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. 
Now, one of the things about David, we, we see David, and often he's referred to as a man after God's heart. And what caused David to be a man of, after God's heart? And really, as we see it, it's one of, one of the parts of it is revealed right here in the psalm. And it shows a thankful heart expressing praise and adoration and glory to God. And that speaks to the heart of God. And this is what's happening here tonight as David is going through this. He said, Lord, you did it. I didn't do it. I'm just the king of Israel basking in your blessings and in your goodness and your kindness. And through it, you have this amazing work that's taking place all over. And I'm just sitting, maybe, where was he? I don't know. Maybe he was, maybe he was in the field of En Gedi, fleeing from Saul. I don't know where he was at the exact time he was writing this. But he's stopping, and he was getting a message that was a tremendous message of thanksgiving and glory and blessing. He says, for you have made him, verse 6, most blessed forever. You gave him, made him exceedingly glad in your presence, for the king trusts in the Lord. I trust in you, Lord. And as I trust in you, you do these big things. One of the keys, one of the little secrets of God's blessing is when we trust, when we completely trust in the Lord. And all of a sudden, God says, okay, you trust, you follow me, I'm going to bless. It's going to come in ways you didn't see. Uh, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. And notice, though, what David's saying. He's not saying, I'm going to stand to myself. I will stand because of the mercy of the Most High. I will stand because God makes me strong. You did it, God. I am overflowing with blessings. My heart just is bubbling over with joy and thanksgiving. But the Lord, Lord, you made all the difference. It wasn't me. And the Lord loves to hear that. He loves even in our prayers to hear, Lord, I can't do this, but I believe by faith you can, and I'm going to trust you. I am going to yield completely to you. And God does amazing things as he sees us. Just acknowledge him. Like, like Proverbs 3 says, in every way, acknowledge the Lord and he'll direct your hand, your path. Now, we're moving fast here because I, my goal is to get through the 22nd chapter, but I might not do it, but, we, but I'm going to try to. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. God, you are the deliverer. You're the conqueror. You fight my battles. I don't have to fight the battles. We need to be reminded so often in the Christian life that the battle is of the Lord. It's not our battle. It's God's battle. He wants us to give it to him and acknowledge it, though. Sometimes he's just waiting for us to say this. And here is David just simply saying, you, you fight my battles. You give the strength. Verse 9, you shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men. Now, any casual reader of the Bible knows that David spent his life fleeing from the enemy. At one time it was Saul. Another time his life is Absalom. He really didn't have a lot of peace. The word of God even says he was a man of war. His son Solomon would rise up later and take the throne. And Solomon was was able to bask in blessings of peace that David never knew. But notice that in the middle of wherever he was, he was praising God and experiencing the blessings of God. 
God is an amazing God in how he supplies our needs. And there's this little flesh default that says, Lord, but when I get all that taken care of, I'm going to really start serving you. You know, God, when you mop up all those things, then I will really give you my all. And we don't know exactly what was surrounding David here, but we see a man that was crying out to God, and we fall into the Psalms, we see the dips. We see the place, he kind of goes, God, why did you do it? And we're going to see this a little bit later as we go into this tonight. But here he's going to say, he's just saying, you're doing it, Lord, you're conquering, you're winning. Verse 10, their offspring you shall destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men. For they intended evil, they, the enemies, my enemies, intended evil against you. Notice where David was seeing the battle. It wasn't like, it wasn't being translated to him. He's saying, he's saying, they, the enemies, try, they devised a plot. They intended evil against you. He was focusing beyond himself to a spiritual battle that wars out there, that again is one of the secrets in spiritual warfare that we don't lock up, like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not where the battle is. It's against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. The battles is of the Lord's, but it's not with flesh and blood. And oftentimes when we get engaged in battle, one of the first things we need to do in a check is recognize that. We don't recognize, we don't, David was over the top of that. He was saying, Lord, you're taking care of this. I'm watching you do it. I'm praising you. I'm thanking you, but I'm trusting in you. And it's easy for a moment to say it must have been a great, beautiful day of weather and, and all the servants were there and giving him whatever, lemonade or uh, whatever. They couldn't get no ice cream in those days. You know, it's easy to and think it's just perfect. And maybe the servants are fanning him. But really, most of David's life was spent in combat and fleeing in some way. And if this, it's amazing, all of a sudden, here goes, here goes Saul, he weeps, and here comes Absalom. It just kept on shifting, but David was, is sharing with us here in the Psalms the secret to the blessing and power of God when, in spite of our circumstances, we can praise God and enjoy his blessings. Everyone here can testify to that somewhere. And we also could probably testify to another side that we had, we've had the privilege and we just didn't do it. We just kind of locked up and we didn't do it. But if you look in verse 11, they intended evil against you. They devised a plot, which are, a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their back and you will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. And then David ends this psalm, be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. And we will sing and praise your power. Now, I'll just tell you tonight, as we were here in worship, I was watching our group, and I saw one thing. They were praising and singing of the power of God. You know, maybe this is a real quick shot off of this before we go into Psalm 22, but uh, the first time Debbie and I ever went to a house church, I went in the first day, and I... Uh, God just took away every message I had, and all I did is do like this, and this is where God brought uh, really uh, 
verse-by-verse teaching to my heart. I took the book of Ephesians, and I watched the people come alive. The next day, but what happened is when these Chinese believers began to sing, I began to cry because I had never seen such exclamation and adoration of God in the sanctuary. You know what they had, James? I think all they had was this old beat-up organ that they pulled out of a garbage dump out in the alley. But what they had was hearts that were turned toward God in praise and worship. The next day, I was going through the book of Ephesians. I got through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And the next day, I was going through 4, 5, and 6. And they say, we're going to bring your wife in. Now, that's no small thing. You're going down an alley. They have lookout people. There's no small thing. says, uh, but we're going to bring your wife. So I went and told Debbie, you're going to come along. And she goes, great. But I said, dear, bring all of the Kleenex you've got because you're going to use it. Now, what they were doing is they were so locked in worship. Apart from their circumstances and suffering, that all you could sense was praise and God's power in a magnificent way. And God doesn't allow us to go there any longer, but uh, one thing that I'll never forget, I never saw that leaf. In the many, many times we went back to many, many places, to many churches, that part of praising God and being thankful and just declaring his name and his righteousness, just as David is doing here tonight, would not leave. Now, it's, it gets kind of exciting, really, when we go into Psalm 22, because Psalm 22 is considered to be probably the most messianic psalm of the Bible, meaning it's speaking of Christ many ways in many places. Uh, I remember one time my father had this book. He loves fulfilled prophecy. So tonight we're going to take a little time and we're going to jump around. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to get those, get those fingers moving. Maybe you won't get as sleepy if anyone's struggling. Because we're going to watch and we're going to flip back and we're going to flip back. But what often we find now as we dive into Psalm 22, for a moment we may not recognize how prophetic it is. At first, it may look like just a struggle of David because oftentimes, as God was moving in the hearts of those holy men of God, they were just simply writing of where they're at. They didn't realize that they were writing of something else much greater, something to come. And oftentimes, it's it's something to remember because the Word of God is so relevant in every age and every place we go, it's really important that we remember something that the Word of God is, has many times multi-applications to the same verse. Now, I'll give you an example. Tonight, we're looking at David right here, and he is writing about his own dilemma. It's tough. And for, now we see a whole twist. Now, now da- David comes off the mountain, and he goes into the valley. And we understand that natural law of gravity. What goes up will come down. And spiritually so often there's that true. I used to think, you know, there's got to be a formula. If we can just find the formula, I can stay up here all the time. I've never found it. Because I've recognized that the blessings of God often are found in the depths of the valley. And as David begins to pen this tonight, we are going to recognize uh, David's 
that out of these valleys are rich blessings. They're almost like hidden gems that we first don't see, okay? Because we see, we feel the pain. We see David is going to, he's in the middle of darkness and discouragement and suffering. Um, most, most writers and, uh, and scholars would say there are pro- over 400 direct prophecies that speak of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Messiah in the Bible. And also over 100 that speak directly about his suffering. But I, I've, I've got this little thought that we haven't begun to see how deep the word is in speaking of the Messiah. I have a picture of heaven. When this book is opened and everything is here, Jesus is going to be in so many places that we never yet had seen. And as the word of God is fully revealed and we're known as we're known and we have an incorruptible body and we see it all, we, I've wondered at times when the word of God says God will wipe away every tear from our eye if it could not be possible that we would recognize Lord you are everywhere. Not just you, but your son. You were there. You were, you were wherever. Sometimes it's easy to say, well, I know he was in Psalm 53, or I know he's in Psalm 22, where we're at tonight. But the word is so amazing that it's like this gem that's hidden under the ground, and the only way we're going to get to it is through pursuing that and seeking that. And as we get there, we discover a, rich, a richness and fullness that is amazing that we can't even explain. As we get here, I want to give you one more little, little uh, illustration that happened. Uh, God put Deb and I in, in, a, little, in a, little, a valley called the Kittitas Valley in Ellensburg, Washington. One of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in America. And there it was. We were pri- privileged as an associate pa- pastor to work with a group of people, just a handful of people that exploded into a big group and planted church over 12 years. Kittitas Valley, Ellensburg, Washington, sits right on the eastern side of the Cascade Mountain Range. It's windy, much more windy than here, but it is absolutely gorgeous. But there's one, up, up out of the valley, there are canyons that go out of the valley, and one of the canyons and you can wind out of those canyons, what's called the Menashtash Canyon. And we could go into the, that canyon, and it would just get into, you would go from Kittitas Valley getting 12 to 14 inches of rain a year. At the end of the Menashtash Canyon, you'd be up about 100 inches of rain in only just a matter of a half hour. Amazing how deeply, uh, how, how, how it changed so quickly. But one time we were in there in the canyon. We'd take the children there a lot of times to go hiking. I loved to hike in those days. We'd, we'd take picnics back there and camp and do all kinds of stuff. And all of a sudden we saw a trail. And I still remember looking at the top and seeing this one little mark. And I thought, what is that? And we took off on that trail on a Sunday afternoon. And I was going to speak that night. And we headed up that trail. And I think we had a bunch of youth with us. And they were all, we were all heading up this trail together. And I still kept thinking about that mark. What's the mark up there? And it was a disciplined hike. It, we probably climbed about 3,000 feet. And as we got up there, and I want to take this to, t- to draw a type into what we're looking at tonight, all of a sudden I kept wondering, what was that thing? And all I saw now was rugged terrain 
and bushes and rocks. And all of a sudden we came over the snow and there it was. One of the most beautiful crosses I've ever seen mounted on top of the mountain, but hidden from view down below. When we got to that cross, to the foot of that cross, we began to sing some songs, I think, Deb, that night, that day. But at the top of that cross, we could look back down all the way through the valley, down to this little town of Ellensburg, about 15,000 people. And the view from that cross had no equal whatsoever. Now, I want to give this just as encouragement as we go into looking at the Word of God tonight, that oftentimes you don't see the cross at first. But when you see the cross and the work of Christ and the power that takes place there, the whole context that surrounds the text becomes gorgeous and beautiful. It's one of the reasons, too, that we are challenged as Christians to discipline ourselves, like Paul to Timothy, to study, to show yourself approved. Study the Word of God. Read the Word of God every day. Read it hard. Every person given uh, to the Word of God committing, because you've got to go through that to see that. If you don't go through that, you won't see that. You're going to miss that. But if you stay on the trail, what I mean by that is faithfully, line upon line, reading the Word of God, You'll get to a place, you'll see the majesty and the glory and the beauty of the cross. And it'll be so magnificent that it'll catch you in its splendor and its glory in amazing ways. Now tonight we're entering here in that first, this first verse where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now David is at a whole different place so quickly. You first look at this and you think, this must be David. Remember, we're looking at one of the most prophetic, known books of the Bible. But David says, my God, my God, why, why, where have you been? Why have you forsaken me? Now, I want us just to really quickly here flip on over in your Bible to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and here it is. We want to get a, a shot of this because we're going to do this tonight because I want us to see this beauty of how fulfilled prophecy comes out. In verse 45, Matthew 27, we are seeing Jesus now at the cross, at the cross now. We're right there. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabathaniah, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is Jesus now at the cross, at the very last, last moments of his life. And now over here, David, though, is looking at something that he's going through in conflict of his life, and he cries to God and says, God, where are you? And this is what Jesus did hundreds and hundreds of years later. And as he, as he continues and he says, why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I am not silent. Notice how quickly the emotional condition of David has changed. You know, we all struggle in some level with depression. There's some place we just get to that point, we don't feel good. 
It doesn't feel good. That's just who we are. I've never ran into a person yet. I've worked with a lot of pastors who are out in settings, and all of a sudden you get up close and you talk, you find out, I just struggle. It's easy to think you hear a sermon, now nah, that guy don't have a problem. No, he does too. He's a man that walks, walks before God every day, just like David did, and all of a sudden you wonder, God, where are you now? Now, David was also being real with God. But this, this was, was prophetic. He said, why are you so far from help me? God, I cry in the day, and you don't hear. I'm not hearing the answered prayer anymore. It's like it's not coming through. I'm trying, but it's not coming. It's just not coming. And in the night season, I'm not silent. So David's saying, at night I'm praying, in the day I'm praying, and you're quiet. You're just still. You, and you know, really, as we look at this, David, I don't believe at this time, saw the cross. He did not understand the sacrifice that Isaiah would write about in Isaiah 53. But often we'll find this in the word and in real life that when we begin to see the cross, the pain begins to lift. It's an amazing thing. As long as we're there where David was, it hurts. It is deep. It cuts. It takes us to a place we did not want to go. We don't have an answer. We're not feeling good. I think we live in a world that every, you know, people talk about this. Just every, Christianity is feeling good. It isn't true. There are days you just don't feel good. You get up. You look up. And you may not call out like David and say, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there's that quietness. I notice this often. For those of you who read from Oswald Chambers, he will often speak of this. This quietness of God, the silence of God in the middle of serving. When we just don't hear, we don't know. But we get up, we call to David. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you don't hear in the night season. And... In the night season, and I am not silent. But notice what David does. We're not quite seeing the cross yet. We're seeing a tip of it. We see a verse we grabbed and went to Psalm 27. But think about this. Oftentimes, this is how our Christian lives are. The cross is there, then it fades. In, uh, John Browning, who wrote this, the, the song, In the Cross of Christ I Glory, Towering Over the Corrects of Time, wrote that because one time in shipwreck he saw a cross that rose out by the sea that said, there's hope. The cross was the deliverance. And the cross of Christ is that great epicenter of the entire teaching of the Bible in every sense. I remember one time reading before about Billy, about Billy Graham shortly before he he passed, and someone said, Billy, if you could do it all over again, what would you do? He said, I'd talk more about the cross, because it is where the power lies. It is the source of where so much death starts, but life comes out of the death. Joy comes out of the sorrow. Abandonment is replaced by fulfillment and companionship and fellowship in Jesus Christ. But, but David, still in the midst of all of this, kept on the trail, okay? Oftentimes, the Word of God says, just walk 
according to the vocation we've been called. Walk worthy of the vocation. Keep getting up. Be faithful to God. There may be no other answer today than simply to get up and walk by faith and not by sight. Notice what he does. He says, but you, he's back to God. We saw a lot of yous in the previous chapter, but you are holy. God, you're holy. I'm going to lock on that. Enthroned in the praises of Israel, our fathers trust in you. You notice what he's doing? He's going back and saying, I have a lineage, my heritage, the Jewish heritage, uh, my family heritage, my father. They trusted in you, and God, I'm going to be there. And you delivered them. And so here comes David. He begins to look at deliverance. They cried to you and were delivered, and they trusted in you and were not ashamed. Notice in this time, David is still in a desperate condition. We'll see it in the next verse. But he is fully acknowledging the Lord as a deliverer. Sometimes we think, well, if I just do that, I snap out of it. Now, sometimes we just continue to trust Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as our Savior and let him do the work that needs to be done in our heart and even in the hearts of other people. If we, go, if we continue here in verse 6, now David turns inward again in the flesh, but now this is where these applications go beyond David, and they'll get stronger and stronger. At first you might think, is this really messianic, or is this real life of just a Christian or a God-fearing person? But the longer we look, the more messianic this come, becomes. You know, it's like going down the road and you're on your way to L.A., on 10, the closer you get to Los Angeles, the more signs you're going to see for L.A. And this is the way the Word of God is. The closer we get to his return, the more signs we're going to see in the Word of God. The closer we get to, the closer we get to truth, the more will be revealed that will keep us going. The Lord, it's an amazing way. I love it. One of the things I love about God, and I love so many things about God, but one of the things that's so amazing about God is how God will just all of a sudden say, okay, I'm going to show you a little secret. And you go, that's amazing. I can remember some times as a younger Christian, I'd get this little secret in some, because I, I was kind of, a, kind of a religious nut by some people, because I, I needed to, and I was, I was picked out of the pit. Um, I would, God rescued me from a pit of sin, and I knew I'm not going to make it unless I give my heart to God from day one. But I would get this little uh, gem, and I'd go, wow, this is great. And I'd go over to someone else, maybe an older pastor, and say, hey, Ben, look at this. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. I knew that 50 years ago. But for me, it was alive. And, and God has a way of doing that with us, even in difficult times. He gives us something that's like a, a, a gleam of hope and light in, in darkness. It's, it's just amazing how God does this. But here David says, I'm a worm and no man. He's turning inward, a reproach of men, despise the people. Who am I, God? I am just a mess. Look at me, Lord. Look who I am. Now I want you, and all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. Now my enemies are going after me, saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let him rescue him. And here they are. Here's David turning inward, but we're getting to something that's getting us closer to the cross if we look at this together. Now, now flip over in your Bibles with me over to Isaiah chapter 53. 
In verse 3, we see a companion verse that's prophetic again. He is despised, Jesus, and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He, Jesus, was despised, and we did not esteem him. And Jesus experienced exactly what David did, and even much more. There's another verse where, for, for those of you that might, you might even want to keep your place, but back over in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 29, we're going to see this again, this, this, uh, this lesson uh, that we're seeing here where Jesus, where David comes to place and speaks about his ridicule and how they're shooting out the lip and he trusts in the Lord. But look at this, 27, 29, we'll see, we'll see something. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, gathered the whole garrison around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. Here it comes. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat, spat on him, took the reed, struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him, put, on, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. You see the parallel? I love this because uh, of a, a, a verse in Hebrews that says that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. Now the, now the path David's on, Jesus has not yet walked. But he will walk that path. All points like as we. And here it is, David is, is at this point, look at me, and they're shooting the lip. Now they're shooting at me, I'm discouraged. And in 2743, when he says, trust in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let's grab one more in, in Matthew 27 and 43 before we move on to a little bit more of this. And here it was, that David, I mean, that, that Jesus was going through it. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I'm the son of God. And this is all the mockers, the accusers saying, okay, he trusted in God. Look at him now on the cross. Look at what he is. He's a, he's a worm, he's a no man, he's a reproach. He claimed to be the son of God. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But notice again what David does. And we, this is interesting because the word of God says the just live by faith. We don't live by sight. We don't live by concepts. We live by faith. That means that we, put it, we get in the morning, I put my pants on, my shoes on, my shirt on, and I meet God and say, God, today I am going to trust you. That doesn't mean I have the answer doesn't mean I know all the, uh, the, have all the solutions to life. But today, Lord, I'm going to trust you. You'll see this with David. You'll see this characteristic in his life that was so powerful, that God worked so mightily. Here he is in verse 9. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while I was on my mother's breast. God, David, even in the midst of his turmoil, was looking to the Lord. Jesus Christ at the cross was looking to the Father. The very one that he was one with before the foundation of the world. He was looking to the Father. And here it is. 
We, we see this with, with David. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. You see what David's doing? I'm going to claim whatever promise I can as I trust you. Just a great key to trusting God. Grab one promise. One promise. Just grab it. Don't let go of it. I remember this old pastor where I used to teach, and I, I love the guy, but he was a dairyman too. He had a dairy, and I remember when he, um, one day he was preaching, and he made a comment. That was the early days of sticky notes. He said, what I did is, no, before, he, he put tape on a little piece of paper, and where he would go to milk the cow, he'd have a verse right there that was a promise that he was going to lock on that day. Now, that's just real, real simple trust in God. You know, it, but that kind of trust is amazingly powerful and profound. And we see this with David as he's getting to this point. I was cast up on you from birth from my mother's room. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there's none to help. Here is David. We know what that's like. We've been there. All of a sudden, there's no one but us. And we even have these poor me pity parties that no one else attends but us. And pretty soon we say, I remember this guy, this, another pastor, a great friend of mine. He lost his wife, and, and we got with him. He's gone home to God, Lord. He lived in Kansas. And one day I, I, said, I said, John, how, how are you doing? You lost your wife. And he says, you know, I had a bunch of pity parties, but I realized no one really cared but me. And so I just finally said it's time to lay those things down and start trusting God and walking, walking by faith. He, did, he, he shared some real tough, some tough times before that, but, but I never forgot that as a younger guy. I thought, wow. But David was still saying, don't be far from me, Lord. Trouble is near. There's none to help, but he's still going to God. The Lord has a beautiful way of removing all of the props and supports that are around us so we will trust in him. Our flesh wants one handle. We want one lever. If we can have one button, the Lord is so beautiful in how he brings us to trust. And even with his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ amazing things happen. Now, if you look with me in verse 12, I'm not going to make it through tonight. I can see this. I'm not going to make it through 22. <laughs> I wanted to because the end of it is great. It's, it's him writing strongly and triumphing. But we as we'll jump back into this next week and get running with David at the end of this chapter. But it also shows what it what the result of the cross is and how God gives you strength out of trial that's unbelievable to take you through where he's going to call you to go. And here, here he says, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. These were bulls that were in Syria. And he was speaking about just strong adversaries that were just trying to overthrow him. I don't know what David saw. You know, he was betrayed by some of his great warriors even. He was betrayed by his own children. He was betrayed by men that he tried to serve in amazing ways, and he was betrayed. But here, David is saying, they gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. And I believe there's, there's a verse, and I'm not even going to go there because we're going to wrap up in a minute. They said, ah, you who, say, who said, come down to the cross now. And they called him everything. And here David was walking a path that was touching the cross. Now it's very important we recognize that. We will never die for our sin. 
Our sin has been paid at Calvary one time, one sacrifice for sin forever. But the Lord Jesus designs that we walk a path that represents the cross. We become a partaker of the Lord Jesus Christ's suffering, not because we suffer for our sin, but we begin to understand deeper and more full that work that took place at the cross when he gave his life as a perfect sacrifice. Let's look at the last two couple of two verses here and we'll probably wrap it up. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the, du- uh, to the dust of death. Maybe it'd be good tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm just gonna linger on this one verse. My tongue clings to my jaws. And oftentimes when you look at that, we see possibly a type of the intense thirst. When a person gets thirsty, I don't know how many of you have ever been there, uh, your tongue is going, you're, you're going up, your tongue is beginning to stick up here, and he's saying, my tongue is cleaving to my jaws. But if you go flip with me over to John chapter 28, we will not get here tonight. I guess the Lord wants us to spend a little bit more time in the cross. Now, if you look in verse 28, I just want to give us this as we wrap up tonight. After this, this is, this is one of the cries of Jesus on the cross. There were seven cries. Not all the gospel accounts have all seven. John has three. They go, Matthew has, I believe, two. Each one, Luke has several. But here, let's look at this. After this, Jesus, verse 28, John 19, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And now a vessel full of sour wine was was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. Now here's here's David, I'm so thirsty. I don't know how many of you have been, how many of you have been to Israel here? Raise your hand, I'd just be interested. We have a trip coming up, there may be a few spots. it's very, there, there's some very, very rugged wilderness areas, very dry, exceedingly dry. And here is Jesus, and here's David saying, I'm thirsty. And I don't know how many of you have been real thirsty. I, it's easy in Arizona to get real thirsty. But it's easy, you know, we lived in other places. It's easy to get thirsty. But when Jesus reaches this place, um, there's something else happening. And I want us to linger here for a minute. It was Jesus who came to give the water of life. He said, I'm the water of life. Anyone who ever gets thirsty can come to me and drink. He met a woman at the well, and he told that woman that I have water that you drink, and you'll never, ever thirst again. But consider this with me tonight as we linger here for just a moment. The very Son of God, who was coming to give his life as a perfect offering for sin, was going to endure the greatest depth of thirst that the world had ever experienced so that we would never need to thirst again. We're not talking about whether we need to stop at at the fountain going out or taking a drink of this water. We're talking about a thirst that is quenched fully through 
the everlasting goodness and grace and power and majesty of God. And when God quenches that thirst, we don't never need to drink again. We don't never need to drink again. You know, and David, yet as he was there in his deep, his time of deep thirst, prophesying of this very event when Jesus would cry out, I thirst. Remember that David had not yet experienced what we experience today. But I want to encourage you here as we leave that you might wonder, what can I give? How can I share the gospel? Share a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus so someone else doesn't ever need to thirst. I don't know what that looks like to you and me. It's when you leave here, though, a heart of praise and thanksgiving, a good word, a word of encouragement, a word of kindness, a word of honor and glory to the Lord. Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And when we experience him and the fact that he has fulfilled our thirst in Christ, then it is, he says, take what you have received and share it with others. Take it. And once again tonight, we haven't gotten very far and we really didn't get very deep. We're just touching some, some great truths of the word of God. But these truths are so important for our Christian life. And you'll find in the world of Bible-fulfilled prophecy, what that really means is it was spoken, is written by a, prof, a prophet, uh, a king like David, someone, they didn't know what they were writing even. But it became revealed thousands of years later through Jesus. And what is happening here with David, he doesn't know why he's there. He doesn't know why his pen is writing everything it's writing. But what it's doing, it's writing about the Son of God coming into the world to give a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. God bless you all. Let's stand up together, have a word of prayer, and we can be dismissed. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to go into your word and for you speaking to us and, and teaching us, Lord, so much at your feet. We recognize that we are... We are mortal, we struggle in our flesh, and yet we claim tonight, Lord, your promise that your spirit lives within us. You have given us the water that we never need to thirst again. And Lord, we trust you completely as we walk by faith that you will not only guide us and lead us, but you will even take us to the places where we can share the goodness of your good news that's the water of life to others while there's still time. So, Lord, may you be first in our lives this week. Guide us. May you bless each one that's here, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.